0: So to introduce to this talk, this talk is on the supper. We'll start at the supper in Bethany and consider the polar opposites of Jesus and Judas. A selfless versus a selfish mindset. Jesus the teacher levels The disciples in their moments of self grandeur and despair. Our participation in the emblems is calling us to a greater participation in the way of Jesus. In the garden we see the depths of Christ's sorrow and learn much about how prayer and suffering connect. As Jesus is arrested, we see his light in the darkest hour. And uh, we'll now have a reading, Mark 14, verses 1 to 42, and we'll be led with this through our brother Ben Morgan.
1: Reading together with you from Mark chapter 14, verses 1 to 42. And I'll be reading from the English Standard Version. It was now two days before the Passover and the Feast of Unleavened Bread. And the chief priests and the scribes were seeking how to arrest him by stealth and kill him. For they said, not during the feast, lest there be an uproar from the people. And while he was at Bethany in the house of Simon the leper, As he was reclining at table, a woman came with an alabaster flask of ointment of pure nard, very costly. And she broke the flask and poured it over his head. There were some who said to themselves indignantly, Why was this ointment wasted like that? For this ointment could have been sold for more than 300 denarii and given to the poor. And they scolded her. But Jesus said, Then Judas Iscariot, who was one of the twelve, went to the chief priests in order to betray him to them. And when they heard it, they were glad and promised to give him money, and he sought an opportunity to betray him. And on the first day of unleavened bread, when they sacrificed the Passover lamb, his disciples said to him, "'Where will you have us go and prepare for you to eat the Passover?' And they prepared the Passover. And when it was evening, he came with the twelve. And as they were reclining at table and eating, Jesus said, Truly I say to you, one of you will betray me, one who is eating with me. They began to be sorrowful and say to him one after another, Is it I? He said to them, It is one of the twelve, one who is dipping bread into the dish with me. And he said to them, This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many. Truly I say to you, I will not drink again of the fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new in the kingdom of God. And when they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. And Jesus said to them, You will all fall away, for it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. But after I am raised up, I will go before you to Galilee. Peter said to him, Even though they all fall away, I will not. And Jesus said to him, Truly I tell you, this very night before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times. But he said emphatically, If I must die with you, I will not deny you. And they all said the same. And they went to a place called Gethsemane. My betrayer is at hand."
2: Well, good afternoon, everybody. It's very good to see you. It's very good to be here and good afternoon to the people who are uh, online uh, this afternoon. It's nice to be able to give a talk and not have to worry about being on mute. Um, that's, I, can, I, I can be uh, confident that I'm talking and that the people here that can, uh, can hear me, and a thank you to our um, tech people who are helping uh, those at home uh, participate with us today. just have our first slide, please. There's a lot of different topics, very worthy topics, that we could give our attention to this weekend but really there's nothing better, there's no better singular focus for us today, especially today, after the tumultuous times that we've had in recent years for us than to look at Jesus. In this series, we're going to follow Jesus closely, particularly through that time in his last hours at the supper, his arrest, his trial, and his execution the apostle paul when he met people directed their attention to christ and to christ crucified and so our meditations this weekend are going to encircle this from the upper room to the empty tomb jesus the teacher would have us today, learn endless lessons. But in particular, what I'd like us to do, to be able to take practical help and strength from this time in Jesus's life, ponder and consider what he called the suffering and the glory. Because like all of God's children, we, each one of us, are subject to sorrows. They are unique, aren't they, to each one of us? We all have our different challenges in life. Yet we know, and we're gathered here together, and we're joining together this weekend because we know and we remember that we've been called to follow a greater pattern and a path to glory. So we'll begin at a supper. In a house in Bethany, The house of Simon the Leper, and in the Gospels of Matthew, Mark, and and John we we hear about this event. And the reason we're starting here is because what unfolded in this place, at, at this meal, would start a chain of events that really changed the course of history. Next slide, please. When we piece the gospel records together we were able to really get a beautiful and complete picture of Jesus' experience and we read didn't we just from the gospel of Mark about this beautiful offering that this woman gave to, to Jesus and we also read of disciples who were begrudging her gift and it's only when we Piece the gospels together and we realise that John and his gospel tells us that the supper was being held uh, in honor of Jesus. I'm going to have most of the passages on the screen. Um, I'm going to attempt to read uh, from the back um, on the screen. Um, You can read them on, on the wall behind me, but feel free to look them up as well as we go. So, John tells us that Jesus therefore came to Bethany where Lazarus was, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. So they gave a dinner for Jesus there. Martha served, and Lazarus was one of those reclining with him at table. Mary therefore took a pound of expensive ointments made from pure nard and anointed the feet of Jesus and wiped his feet with her hair. The house was filled with the fragrance of. The perfume. So it's only John who identifies uh, Mary as the woman who anointed Jesus with this expensive ointment. Mary, the sister of Lazarus. And it's only in this gospel that we find out this was a celebration. This was uh, a very special meal. It wasn't just a, a daily evening meal, it was actually a, a celebration in honor of Jesus um, at, the, at the raising of Lazarus for what he had done. Um, for that family. And we can imagine the, the atmosphere um, and the joy and all the emotions that would have been coursing through that room as they met together uh, and celebrated their their brother being raised, their friend being back with them. And we wonder, don't we, whether this venue, which we're told very particularly, uh, was was chosen to protect... Jesus and Lazarus, because we know that Jesus was a wanted man. We've read that he had a price on his head, and not only him, but his friend Lazarus. We know they wanted to kill him as well. So possibly they were at Simon's house to, to, uh, to find a bit of protection from those who would harm them. And next slide, please. So not only do we find out from John that it was Mary, but we find out exactly which disciple it was... Who was, had this begrudging attitude. In verse 4, John chapter 12, but Judas Iscariot, one of the disciples, he who was about to betray him, said, Why was this ointment not sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor? He said this not because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. And having charge of the money bag, he used to help himself to what was put in it. And so what in the other Gospels, uh, when we hear about Judas's act of betrayal, is quite abrupt. For example, in Mark that we've just read, here in John, we have this identification of Judas as the disciple who scolded Mary, who considered her offering a waste. Um, but it, what it did was it revealed his selfish motives. He wasn't concerned about the poor. He was actually feeling like he'd been shortchanged. The money that uh, he'd seen that had been spent on this ointment, he felt could have gone into their purse and, and ended it up in his back pocket. But what we discover in this encounter where Jesus... Um, Um, critically replies to Judas and the disciples and really pulls them up and and pulls apart their thinking about what this woman has done, Um, we find it is a a very, very critical... And they paid him 30 pieces of silver. And from that, he an opportunity to... This is the spark that starts the fire. This moment at this supper where Judas is chastised and, and pulled up and caught out in his thinking is the moment that makes him decide to go and betray Jesus. And it makes us wonder, doesn't it, how do we respond to criticism? If you're anything like me, it's often difficult to receive. We can deflect, we can find fault and, and blame others. We get defensive, we get reactionary and retaliatory. And so here we find Judas um, doing just that when he is criticized by the Lord Jesus Christ. And so two people confront us, two men confront us here, Jesus and Judas. And these two men show us, they epitomize to us two very different ways, two very different paths. Which one do you walk? And you might think that that is an easy question to answer. But when we understand and when we dig into Judas's motives, we find it to be a most uncomfortable question next slide please what were the words that Judas spoke the first words that came from his lips when he went to betray Jesus what will you give me I might not be able to associate and and think about what it must be like to crucify Jesus but when we think about betraying Jesus we may be can start to associate. But when we dig deep into Judas' mindset and we see at the heart was somebody who was being selfish, we find that so very confronting. Because we know, don't we, that it's that same selfish way of thinking that, that exists in our own lives. Just go back a slide, please, Matthew it's that same selfish uh, way of thinking it's that same voice that shouts aloud in our heads you know what's in it for me and so this stands in in abrupt contrast to the way of Jesus which we'll remember together uh, tomorrow when we think of his words compared to Judas saying what will you give me we think of Jesus handing to each one of us the bread and saying, this is my body, which is given for you. When we take that cup tomorrow, we think of him speaking to us and saying, this cup that is poured out for you. And so this is why it's so important for us to decide to know nothing except Jesus Christ and him crucified, to each day move a little bit closer to Jesus and the heart of Jesus, and further away from that Judas that hides in each of us. Judas, what will you give me? Or Jesus, what can I give you? Which is the story of your life? As we leave here today, will we leave in the spirit of Judas or the spirit of Jesus? And we pray, don't we, that We might be like our gracious Lord, that we might be poured out for others. So Jesus is described in many ways throughout the Gospels and indeed throughout the Scriptures. And we listen really carefully to hear how he describes himself at this crucial time with his disciples before his death. The teacher. And we're about to witness in what he does the greatest lesson of love. Matthew, Mark, and Luke all describe Jesus in this way, and he calls himself the teacher. He is the teacher of teachers, and Jesus is like a teacher uh, assessing his students, not just to give them a, a curriculum and some information that they need to know, but a teacher who cares about the growth of, of his disciples, a teacher who is assessing his students to give them just what they need to grow in grace, And the Gospel of John records his final words to his disciples, and it spans five chapters. It's almost a quarter of the book of John. It's a rich treasure, and it's unparalleled, really, in, in its value for us as disciples to be able to read those words today. Yet those words commence with something silent next slide please during supper when the devil had already put into the heart of judas iscariot simon's son to betray him jesus knowing that the father had given all things into his hands and that he had come from god and was going back to god rose from supper he laid aside his outer garments and taking a towel tied it around his waist and then he poured water into a basin And began to wash the disciples' feet. And to wipe them with the towel that was wrapped around him. Isn't that astounding? Jesus knew that the eternal. The almighty God. The creator of the universe. The father had given him all Things. He understood the immeasurable riches of his inheritance. He knew that he was born of God and he was going to God. He had everything, yet he made himself nothing. He's the son of God, yet he took the form of a servant. And it's just amazing how John in his gospel writing puts these two things together, this juxtaposition. It's meant to shock us. It's meant to knock you out of your seats. This is the lesson that Jesus would have them learn. And so how does a teacher... How does the teacher teach? I mean, he just doesn't just deliver a lesson. Of course, we, we read those words. But we know that Jesus didn't leave us a book. He didn't hold on to a lectern, a lectern and, and talk out like this. He didn't use Zoom or, uh, or do webinars or anything like that. In humility, Jesus counted his disciples, including Judas Iscariot, more significant than himself. That was his practical lesson. And it's long been known that we learn best through experience. So Jesus is motivated by love and he cares for his friends. And by serving them in this way, he's giving them the, the greatest lesson of love. But he's also addressing the needs of his disciples right then And right there. Next slide, please. In the account of this supper, the the Lord's Supper, we have two verses side by side that are really quite startling. For the Son of Man goes as it has been determined. This is Jesus speaking to his disciples, but woe to that man by whom he is betrayed. And they began to question one another which of them it could be who is going to do this. So we can imagine, can't we, the, the talk, the side chatter, the, the questions, the, the wondering, the, you know the, the questions around who this might be. And the very next verse, the very next verse, we find out where else their conversation went that evening. Next slide, please. A dispute also arose among them as to which of them was to be regarded As the greatest. Isn't that incredible? You know, we've got uh, topics of conversation tonight at our supper. It's going to be who's the worst and who's the best. These were the things that occupied the minds of the disciples. So when Jesus took that towel and wrapped it around his waist, he was actually trying to teach them both those attitudes and how to grow. In grace, And so we see, don't we, that the disciples were swinging from thoughts of, of doubts, of betrayal, to thoughts of grandeur and, and loftiness. And, you know, we read these words and we, we find them startling. We, we almost uh, find ourselves laughing at such contrariness until we realize that we ourselves Are sitting with the 12. Does this behavior really surprise me? Does it surprise us? Because you know as well as I that at times in our lives we are proud, we are self elevated, and we cast judgments on on others. And at other times we're doubting. We know we've betrayed our friendship with Jesus. And so we can find ourselves, can't we, in this perilous pendulum swing. So really rather, I'm learning, rather than lambasting the disciples to to do some soul-searching and to join them and ask, is it I? So how did Jesus... Both level them, bring them down, and lift them up. How did he make low the mountains of pride and lift up those who were deep down in that valley of self-doubt? He does it not in one word or in words, but in one act. And without a word, he adorned himself as their servants. And the glory of the Lord is revealed in him. I wonder if Peter, when writing his first letter, recalled that night. I wonder if you could vividly picture Jesus adorning himself at supper when he wrote these words. Next slide, please. not coming on the screen but i'll read them for you it's in 1 peter 5 and verse 5 clothe yourselves all of you with humility toward one another for god opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble clothe yourselves like christ did with humility toward one another So Jesus was teaching them that salvation, that God's grace is found in the servant's hands, and all this in the midst of his suffering. So before we follow Christ into the garden, into that garden of Gethsemane, to to really dwell on that and conclude our first session, I'd like us to take a moment to think about what we're going to do tomorrow, what we do each week um, as we have the bread and the wine, as we Um, take part in our memorial meeting it might have been something that's been brought more closely into focus in the past year as we've remembered christ in a very different way in isolation at home we've maybe thought about it um, and looked at it in a new way because we've been forced to do it in such a different way but what we want to do is, is think about some of the things that christ has said about that memorial that we have of this supper this night um, and, and what Jesus would want us to, to do with our memorial. So if the slides are working, we're going to go on to two slides. Um, on to the next one. Thank you. So Paul, in writing to the Corinthians, um, in 1 Corinthians 11 and verse 26, for, says, For as often as you eat this bread and, and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. And so we've got to ask ourselves, when we participate of the bread and the cup together, what does it mean for us to proclaim his death? Well, really, when we think about that word proclaim, we know it means to announce something. It's not a, a, a hushed whisper. When we proclaim something, we, we announce it. Usually, it's also something we don't do in inside a closed, hidden space. It's something we do publicly. That's what to proclaim means. We announce something publicly. So Paul is directing us to realize that the supper that we share, that we all share together tomorrow, is about more than just thinking of Jesus and remembering Jesus uh, in our minds. It's It's more than that. That is important, but it's more than that. It's more than, than self reflection. What Paul, I think, is, is asking us to think and, and, and see is that what we're going to do tomorrow is, isn't just a, a mental exercise alone, it's about a commitment to indicate something clearly in our lives, to show the Lord to show his sacrifice in the way that we live. It's almost as if Paul is asking us, as we share the bread in the cup, to ask ourselves, have I been broken in these past days since I, I last shared this meal? Have I given my life? Have I been poured out for others? If you share the emblems, but then fail to share your life and blessings with others, then Christ's message is lost. Paul puts it this way. Next slide, please. The cup of blessing that we bless, is it not a participation in the blood of Christ? The bread that we break, is it not a participation in the body of Christ? Just like his real-lived lived lesson, this this act that we're going to do tomorrow is it's meant to propel us. It's meant to reflect not only Jesus, but in some small way, us and our lives as the body of Christ. And this is brought really home when uh, we, we consider John's gospel. Because so, after Jesus served his disciples and washed their dusty feet, he said, uh, Next slide, please. I have given you an example that you also should do just as I have done to you. And it's interesting, isn't it? Because we often think of Matthew, Mark and Luke and we think about the Last Supper and we think about the bread and the wine on this side and then we think about Jesus washing the disciples' feet on on this side. But it's the same night. It's the same event. It's the same thing. And, And what we're being asked to do and invited to do is to bring these two aspects of the Lord's Supper together. And these words, these words are just so important for us to hear. Jesus says, "I've given you an example. My body's been broken, my blood's being poured out, that you also should do, just as I have done to you." So Jesus and his disciples departed the upper room for a familiar place. It was a garden refuge. We know from John and Luke in their Gospels that this place was a special place uh, for Jesus. It all began in a garden, didn't it? In, in, a, in the Garden of, e, uh, of, of Eden with Adam and Eve. And it's in this garden, and a garden again, that we will see Jesus overcome. And from the events in the garden, that I'd like us to ponder now is, as we, we bring our thoughts to a close this afternoon is particularly to think about prayer and prayer in the midst of our own suffering. It was Christ's desire to pray. We're told that. He wanted to pray. He was here to pray. And we're also told that he was greatly distressed. He was greatly troubled and sorrowful about what was going to happen to him. Just think about that for a minute. The weight on Jesus' heart about what was just about to, to happen to him. I don't think we can begin to comprehend, really understand how he felt. Because, you know, Jesus knew exactly what was going to happen to him. Down, down to sort of surprising details, like he knew that people would spit on him. He told his disciples that that would happen, but like specifically down to those sorts of details. And so we see Jesus about to face this, this, this terrible time in his life, to face a cruel, cruel death. And in Gethsemane, we are greatly privileged to have this insight into such an intensely personal and painful moment in the life of the Lord Jesus Christ. The next slide, please. Jesus, with immense courage, told his disciples, my soul is very sorrowful, even to death. Stop for a moment. To ponder the weight of his sorrow. Jesus shares his distress with his friends. And what an example he's left us of, of openness. being able to communicate how we feel honestly. And he shares it not only with his friends, but of course with his father. Christ's prayer, his request is, is wrapped. It's, it's completely enclosed with this acknowledgement that the will of God be done. Your will be done. It was an early and a consistent part of Christ's message And here we see it made flesh in his own life. Next slide, please. So he prays, my Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. And this this gives us a model for our prayers. In our times of great sorrow and, and trouble, whatever it may be, Let us be embraced and and cushioned by such confidence that we too are guarded and shielded by our Father's love and by his best interests for us. He he goes to God. And consider the Lord Jesus Christ's um, continued prayer We we read uh, today that he he went and prayed a second time uh, the same words. It says specifically the same words. But what you might not have noticed is it's not so clear from from Mark's gospel what those uh, third words were. And we'll just put them up on the screen. Thank you. Just have the next slide as well. So he, 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 he starts his prayer, My Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from, from me. Ne- nevertheless, not as I will, but as, as you will. But he ends his prayer in a slightly different way. Very subtly different. My Father, if this cannot pass unless I drink it, your will be done. Next slide, please. Can you see how subtly different those, those words are for us in our English translation? This is the English standard version. But nevertheless, we see in them um, a change in Christ's prayer. In his initial prayer, he's, he's actively asking if it be possible for the cup to pass from him. And in his third prayer there is an an acknowledgement and an an openness to this other path where the cup cannot pass. Through Christ's continued prayer and, and God's comfort, Jesus is strengthened to know and accept that there is no other way. And so God can and often does intervene in our lives in answer to prayer, but not always. We've all had experience of that. But if we can be constant in prayer through such struggles as these, it will help us, like it did Jesus, to accept the will of God and to endure whatever that might be for us. We may start our prayer, let this this pass from me, but we're being led by Jesus to always finish praying, your will be done. Next slide, please. We read in Luke's gospel, and being in an agony, his troubled mind was physically painful to him. Being in an agony, he prayed more earnestly and his sweat became like great drops of blood falling down to the ground. And when he rose from prayer, he came to the disciples and found them sleeping for sorrow. This imagery of of great drops of blood, surely we should be reading about that later when we're reading about the crucifixion, or the trial of Jesus, great drops of blood falling from Jesus. Or we might anticipate reading of him being in agony as he, as he hung from the cross, or as they lashed his back. And yet we read it here, in the garden. We are witness to Christ's living sacrifice it speaks doesn't it of the sacrifice of his self will it was an agonizing experience and we're reminded that the battle that Christ faced and that we face isn't one that's fought on the battlefield it's one that's fought in here in our hearts in our heads And that's where sacrifice begins, deep within us. We have to sacrifice in Gethsemane before we can sacrifice at Calvary. So what have we seen and learnt from our Lord this afternoon? Just to recap what we've covered in this first session. Uh, Next slide, please. So we started at uh, the supper in, in Bethany and we considered those, those two opposites, those polar opposites of Jesus and Judas, and we're reminded that we each have that path and that choice to make, whether we're going to have a selfless or a selfish uh, mindset. We look to Jesus, the teacher, and we learn from his way of teaching and, and how he levels his disciples in their moments of self-grandeur and he lifts up those disciples who are in despair with grace. We've considered our participation in that thing that we do week after week after week in the emblems and, and been reminded that it's actually calling us to a greater participation in the way of Jesus. And in the garden we see the depths of Christ, his sorrow and we learn how prayer and suffering intertwine and how we too can pray to God and the great power in this through our own challenges in life. One of the saddest moments for us in all of this experience for Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane is really his loneliness. When he speaks to his disciples, we we feel the same pain that I'm sure they did when he said, so could you not watch with me one hour? When none of his friends could watch with him, the Lord sent a comforter from heaven. So as we finish our first session, Jesus' words speak through the centuries to Confront our discipleship and our commitment today. Watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. When the Lord returns, will he find us awake?